If you have your Bibles with me, if you would join me in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we're going to be jumping into chapter 11, uh, verse 16 down to verse 33 is our text tonight, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16 down to verse 33. When you find your place, you're welcome to stand as we honor the Word of God tonight. The first few verses are a little bit confusing to navigate in your mind as we read through this, uh, but you will understand as we get done tonight, I'm sure, as God will help you see as he has helped me. And uh, it says, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves, ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Uh, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeys often in perils of water, perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils of the heathen, and perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness, and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities, that the God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. And Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of Damasc uh, of the Damascans uh, with a garrison desirous to apprehend me and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you would grant us understanding, allow us to uh, receive the word of God clearly. And I pray tonight that you would open ears and eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Bless the teens, the kids, and the adult service tonight for your glory in Christ's name. And God's people said, Man, you may be seated this evening. One of the greatest qualities that the scriptures elevate is that of humility. Humility can be defined as having a humble opinion of yourself. It's a deep sense of your moral littleness, submissiveness, having a lowly mind. Uh, Jesus taught the humble are the ones who would receive the kingdom. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize they have no spiritual account with God. They cannot earn salvation, that they are spiritually bankrupt and God must bring them salvation. Jesus taught those with humility will be greatest in God's kingdom. He said in Matthew 18, 4, whosoever shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught... The way up is the way down, that humility is the way to be exalted. 
In Matthew 23, 12, he said, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased or brought low, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And so when you read through the Bible, you find how the great men of God all throughout the Bible were men of great humility. Abraham, in Genesis 18, 27, said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak to the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. We think about Job in Job 40, verse 4. Job said, I am vile, and what shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Moses was called the meekest man on the earth. Gideon uh, said, I am the least in my father's house. Daniel, uh, chapter 10, verse 12, says, Fear not, Daniel, for thou art from the first day he heard you, uh, because you had uh, chastened yourself before the Lord, and, and he was such a humble person before God. John the Baptist uh, said of Christ, I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoe latchet. Uh, John 3.30 said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Think about Peter, his humility, when he said in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and, and this kind of language goes on and on, and the attitude, the spirit, the teaching of the great men of God was that of humility. Uh, but there was no one that was more uh, more of an example and, and, and exemplified humility, I should say, more than Jesus Christ, because no one stepped down from their throne of heaven, came to a earth in a lowly state inside of a manger, uh, lived on this earth, and, and stayed uh, in, in such a humble spirit of, of not seeking self-exaltation. We see even at the end of his life, the day before he died, he was washing the disciples' feet. Philippians 2 talks about, uh, says, when, when Peter's trying to teach the church there at Philippi how to behave one to another, he said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the same form of God, he was uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, uh, the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ, and he humbled himself to the point of death. And so humility is that attribute that is so exalted in Scripture. And the, and the great enemy of humility is pride. And pride is defined as having feelings of superiority it's an attitude that both exalts itself while at the same time looking down on others. Uh, it's like the Pharisee who said, God, thank you that I'm not like other men in Luke 18. Pride is the first sin recorded in Scripture. We find in Isaiah 14, it's what caused Satan to fall because Satan wanted to exalt his throne up to the heavens, he said in Isaiah 14, 14, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. And it was from that that God cast Satan down. Pride will cause people to turn from God. Uh, we see Satan allured Eve into the fall in Genesis by tempting her with the lie that if you eat of this tree, of this fruit, then you will be as God's illumination. You will be enlightened and, and that was what was ultimately the root temptation there. Pride causes people to believe in illusion. Uh, they, they believe that they are more than they are, and they believe God is less than He is. And the presence of God produces humility, and it is His absence of God that allows the weeds of pride to grow. What are the results of pride? Well, Psalms 10 verse 4 says, "...the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God." The reason people don't seek God is because they don't think they need Him. Uh, I ask this question every week in Foundations. I say, 
uh, to the people that I talk to, do you believe salvation is a want or a need? And what is the difference between a want and a need? A want is not a necessity. A want is a preference. A need is a necessity. And people treat God as a non-essential. I don't really need him. And the reaction and the passion and the desire for God reflects his uselessness in people's lives. The lack of needing him, the lack of even wanting him. And so it keeps people from seeking God. The wicked, the Bible says, through the pride of their countenance, they don't seek God. Why would they? Pride is unteachable. You ever known a young prideful heart? Can't tell them anything. Right when you begin to tell them something, what's their response? Oh, I know, I know. And then you know what I always do when people do that? Such as my kids or when I was a youth pastor working with hundreds of teenagers, I'd say, I'd say oh, okay, then can you finish it for me? Oh, what was you going to say? <laughs> yeah, you don't know, you don't know. That's why Jesus would always say, if you have ears to hear, hear. It's why the prideful religious leaders could never receive anything from Christ because they had no capacity to listen. They, they felt like they already knew. They had a presupposition. If you think you're right and the Bible's wrong, if you were wrong, would you want to know? Pride will cause people to be unteachable. Pride will also cause division. Proverbs 13 says, only by pride cometh contention. You know, the reason that people argue and fight is not because of humility. It's because we are prideful. Pride causes division in the church at Corinth. They were focused on who was the greatest. They were fighting over who baptized who. Pride destroys people. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction. And, and God hates pride. Proverbs 6, 16 says, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. And the first thing he lists is a proud look. And God resists the proud, according to Peter in 1 Peter 5, 5. So we just have to recognize that pride is this thing in our life that is so detestable to God, and it should be detestable to us because its fruits are so sinful. And as America has rejected God, they have now entered into the delusion of self-deification to elevate themselves to the place of authority, and it creates pride. Let me read for you a newspaper editorial, the writer states, there are some who naively cling to the nostalgic memory of God. The average churchgoer takes a few hours of the week to experience the sacred, but the rest of the time he is immersed in a society that no longer acknowledges God as an omniscient and omnipotent force to be loved and worshipped. Today we are too sophisticated for God. We stand on our own now. We're prepared and ready to choose and define our own existence. It's like the man who went to the United Nations, one of the guys who spoke before our Congress dozens of times, and he said, we, it is our kingdom, our power, and our glory now. Such foolish things issue and, and flow out of the mouth of people who have rejected God. John Piper so rightly puts this, that humility can only survive in the presence of God. When God goes, humility goes. 
In fact, he says, you may say that humility follows God like a shadow. We can expect to find humility applauded in our society about as often as God is applauded. And so today we live in an atmosphere in America that will not allow humility to survive. When's the last time you saw a political leader humble themselves? They're never wrong, are they? Their stupidity and inability to ever confess fault. They think that's a strength. It's an embarrassment. Especially when they know they're wrong. It's about as foolish as our president. I'm probably going to... I shouldn't even say it. Um, (laughs) You want me to say it, don't you? It's about as foolish as our president blaming Donald Trump for the open border. Is that, is that about as silly as thing you've ever heard? Really? <laughs> Let me just keep going. I, there is a rabbit trail, and it's like, run with me. And I'm like, no, I got some stuff I need to talk about. You know, Donald Trump has done some foolish things. Our president, current president, needs our prayers. We, uh, but, but, you know, we need, to, we need to take responsibility for things. And so often that doesn't happen. I'm glad they apprehended the men who beat up the cops in New York. Saw that recently, right? Uh, How they ever let these kind of guys out of jail. That just shows you how broken some of these systems are. If you want anarchy in the United States, then stop punishing evildoers. I think it's in El Salvador that the the, the murder rates went down like 92%. Have you seen that? Because they have a leader who's come in and has enforced the law. And they are, they are just absolutely taking their country back. It's an incredible thing. It's almost supernatural. The Bible says when evil men are not punished, they get worse and worse. When there's no fear of authority, that's why the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. Because fear is what brings people into an understanding of like there's consequence. If you have no fear of authority, then you'll violate the law. If you have no fear of teachers, then you'll be... The school systems get broken. If you have no fear of your parents, then homes become a mess. And it's not a, it's not a dreaded fear. It's a fear that reverences and respects. And so what we've done is this, and we, we have chosen to have no fear of God. We have neglected God, and the runner-up deity is taking the place, which is man. Man has now deified himself. That's Romans 1.21, Right? It is because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain or empty in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. And when you de-elevate God, you always get to elevate yourself. If there is no God, I make the rules. Right? I become the standard. I become, I become the God. And the reason that people don't want to commit their life to Christ is they will not have Jesus to lord over them. But I have learned that He is a lot better Lord than I am. Because he's the only Lord, amen? <laughs> and his ways are so much better. And what a, what a gracious God we have. Now, I say all that as we enter into chapter number 11, navigating this passage, because Paul is taking on a bunch of prideful, self-appointed, self-righteous, egotistical, false teachers And he had just got done exposing them. And we looked at these verses last week in verse 13 through 15. And he calls them out because they had assaulted Paul. They have sought to bring the great apostle Paul down. 
the man who started the church in Corinth, spent a year and a half there ministering, built the church up. When he left, uh, these guys crept in and they began to exalt themselves. They began to badmouth Paul. These were false apostles acting like they were real apostles. And he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers. They transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. These are the tares among wheat, right? And no marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan wants to look like Jesus. He, he loves religion. He loves to make people religious and keep them lost. He says, therefore, it is no great thing that if his ministers be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Jesus was crucified at the hands of religion. There's nothing that will send more people to hell than religion. It is the most blinding thing in our world today. And because of the attacks from the false apostles on Paul, he was forced to defend himself. How do you defend yourself? You ever have to get into a position where you have to defend yourself and it's just, it's a, it, it's, it can be a very difficult thing to do because you feel like you're like boasting on yourself. You, you, you have to begin to like defend things that it's just not super comfortable to do for humble people. Prideful people have no problem with it. If you're a proud person, you'd be like, yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I like to defend myself. I like to speak well of myself. Well, you're probably the person that always one-ups everybody. You ever have that person in life, you have some amazing thing happen, you share it, and they're like, oh, that's nothing. Listen to what happened to me. You know, and they're just like, oh, that's cool. Let me, let me, let me clap for you again. Does that, does that make you feel better? That's good. good. So, uh, but Paul... Paul had no problem boasting in Christ. He had no problem boasting in the Lord, but he had a lot of problems boasting in himself. But he was pushed to do this because he was authoring 13 books of the 27 New Testament books. And so he had to defend his apostleship. He had to defend himself because if he was undermined, the scriptures would be undermined. The, the gospel that he preached would be undermined. He said in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 11, he said, I am become a fool in glory." You have compelled me. He said, I should have been commended of you. I'm not, I'm not behind the very chiefest apostles. He says, though I'm nothing. He, he, like, he hated to say it. Like, like I'm not behind the top apostle, but I, I, I'm nothing. Like Paul seems to have the principle of Proverbs 26, 5 in mind. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Sometimes you're forced to answer fools. Paul was forced to boast against his will. The false apostles boasted according to their will. Paul boasted in what God had done in him, not to build himself up for personal gain, but to benefit the church. The false apostles boasted in themselves for their own personal gain. And tonight I want to show you the struggle that a humble man has in boasting, which is one of the greatest tests of humility. Anyone can be humble when they're not successful. The test of humility is when you're on the podium. The test of humility is when you're doing fantastic. The test of humility is when everything in your accomplishments are great, your finances are great, your, 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 the, your life is really, things have really become good for you. Can you handle success? Many people can handle defeat. Many Christians can handle defeat, but very few can handle victory. It's probably why he allows us to face the struggles we do. Amen. 
And so Paul has seen so much ministry success, so many miracles, so many blessings that would have been easy for pride to have attacked him. Rather, you find a man in his shoes struggling to speak of his successes and credentials and only does so when he's forced. Tonight, I want to look at a message when the humble boast. First of all, humility's view of boasting. Boasting in Paul's eyes, was a foolish act. He says in verse 16, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me that I may boast myself a little. Matthew Henry writes, as much against the grain as it was is with a proud man to acknowledge his infirmity, so much is it against the grain when a humble man speaks of his own praise. Prior to even beginning to defend himself, which he saw as a foolish thing, he wants to distance himself from the false apostles who praised themselves. So he says in verse 16, I say again, let no man think me a fool. I'm not like these other guys that are boasting in themselves for their own sake and their own benefit. He, he wanted to put some distance between him and the false apostles that he had just exposed. He goes on in verse 16, he says, if Otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me that I may boast myself a little. So after separating himself from the boastful, proud, false apostles, he says, if you choose to see me as a fool for defending myself, then receive me as a fool since you've done the same thing with the false apostles. Grant me the same privilege. Verse 17, he says, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting. And, and what does this mean? Well, some think it means that Paul is saying what he's writing is not under the inspiration of God, but that's not true. Matthew Henry says, to prevent the abuse of what he should say, telling them that what he spoke, he did not speak after the Lord. He did not want people to take what he's doing here and just begin to give it a license to be routinely boasting in yourself. So Paul, boasting... To Paul, posting was a foolish act, and it should not be something that Christians are prone to do. Psalms, or Proverbs 27, verse 2 says, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. Ask yourself, are you a self-promoter? Do you, do you have a tendency to speak of your own accomplishments? We must realize our identity, friends, is not in our accomplishments, our identity is in Christ's accomplishment. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Let them see your good works, but then let them glorify your Father which is in heaven. So boasting, he saw, was a foolish thing, and he calls it foolish, and he calls himself foolish for having to do it. And then secondly, he saw boasting as a fleshly act. Verse 18, he says, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Paul is referring again to the proud false apostles. They did exactly what he did before he was saved. Before Paul became a Christian, he boasted in his religious accomplishments, Galatians 1.14, he talks about how he profited in the Jews' religion above his equals. Philippians 3, he talks about the same thing. 
before he was saved, that's what he focused on was his physical, spiritual, religious deeds. But friends, none of that will save us. I'm not going to heaven because I preach. I'm not going to heaven because I serve people. I'm not going to heaven for any of that. I'm only going to heaven because Jesus saved a sinner. Verse 19 through 21 is the most scathing language found in the New Testament. Paul uses sarcasm for the purpose of invoking attention at the absolute foolishness of what the Corinthians have allowed the false apostles to do. You know, sarcasm is a style of speech that uses irony to mock or convey contempt. It is to say the opposite of what's actually true. The apostle, as MacArthur says, as it were, is verbally slapping the Corinthians into their senses. This is, a, uh, this is, this is strong sarcasm. He had used it back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 8, Now you are full, you are rich, you reigned as kings without us. He says, and he goes on and on in chapter 4 like that to them. But here in verse 19, look what he says. He says, For you suffer fools gladly, or you put up with fools gladly, seeing yourself are wise. In other words, you're so wise. You are just so wise that you gladly put up with fools. And how wise are you? You put up with fools that do the following. And he listed in verse 20 through 21. You're so wise that you, you put up with fools who bring you into bondage. This speaks of the legalistic system that was imposed on the Corinthians by the Judaizers. You put up with, you're so wise you put up with a man who devours you. And he's talking about how they would devour them financially. You, you, if a man take of you, verse 20. Uh, the original language here, take of you, uh, is the same word used to catch a bird or bait a trap uh, for that purpose or to bait a fish hook and catch a fish. He's like, you're so wise that you take the bait and you get caught. You're so wise that if a man exalts himself, what he's saying there is instead of exalting Christ, they're exalting themselves and, and you're so wise you allow them to do that. And, and you're so wise that if a man smack you in the face... You, you take that, and, and what he's saying there is, uh, in that culture, uh, to smack a man in the face uh, with an open hand was the, was the greatest sign of disrespect uh, that you could, you could really show somebody. That's why Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He didn't mean let somebody physically assault you, all right? Uh, the story was told, I read about a man who was in um, Ireland, and and a man was getting in a fight with him, and he hit him across the face. He turned his cheek, he hit him again, and he said he pummeled the guy. And a man said, why did you do that? He said, Jesus told me to turn one cheek, but he didn't tell me to do after the first time. So I just <laughs> finished the rest. So, but what Jesus is saying there is not to let somebody hurt you. You are to defend yourself because you're made in the image of God, and you need to defend the image that God has in your life. What he's saying is, if somebody disrespects you, then you don't you just turn your other cheek and you don't let their disrespect to control your life. You're controlled by God. Turn the other cheek to that. And, uh, and so, he's, so whether this is literal slapping or whether this is, this is uh, metaphorically uh, pronounced that, that these people are just slapping you around verbally, uh, either way, uh, Paul is saying, you're so wise, you allow them to abuse you, whether physically or with their words. And it reaches a peak of sarcasm in verse 21. 
In this cutting irony, um, he says in verse 21, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Uh, the New King James just makes it clear. It's hard to under, it, it's the wording of it's out of line really in verse 21. Uh, verse 21 in the New King James, it says, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. What he's saying here in verse 21 is this, you're so wise that you let these guys put you in bondage, devour you, take of you, exalt themselves, smack you in the face. Uh, but, but to our shame, we are too weak to do all of that. We don't, we, we're, we, we don't have, we fall short. If, if, if the false apostles are the standard by that kind of conduct, man, we just fall way short. We are too weak in comparison. And so the last part of verse 21 is the transition of Paul's defense. He says, I speak concerning reproach. Uh, verse 21, he goes on and says, How be it wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. What he's saying there is whatever they desire, dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. And, and what, he's, what he's getting at is basically if you, if you want to uh, compare credentials. If you, if you want to compare your credentials, false apostles, with mine, uh, then let's do that. And so what, what we see next in verse 22, and really it goes through chapter 12, verse 4, or verse 6, but we're only going to end at the end of this chapter, uh, is Paul gives us both his physical and ministerial credentials. And so look at Paul's physical credentials as he steps into these in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. You know, among the Jewish people, ethnicity, being a Jew, a pure Jew, a Jew from Jerusalem, a Jew that was from Palestine, and not what would they call a Hellenistic Jew, which was a Greek-speaking Jew in those days, uh, they, they were at the top of the ladder. Because they really found themselves, you know, how, how do you get to heaven if you're a Jew? Well, my nationality is part of that. Because of my ethnicity, I'm a child of God. Uh, and so that's, that's the way they saw that. And so they thought, well, just because I'm a descendant of Abraham, he says, are they Hebrews? He said, I'm, I'm a Hebrew as well. Are they Israelites? He said, so am I. This term identifies them as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israelites, the name came from that. This, this is the idea of the covenantal relationship the Jews had with God through uh, Israel. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite. And he says, um, finally there in verse 22, uh, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. And so he lays down his, his physical credentials here. But, but listen to what John the Baptist said, and I could say more about that, but I just kind of wrap that up, is, is in Matthew 3, 8, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, uh, the Jews had come out to him, and then the religious leaders came out to them because they were the ones not repenting. They, they were trusting in their national identity. Uh, being a Jew was, was the way they felt like was really at the top of how they were going to be into heaven. God will accept them all. Matthew 3, verse 8, he says, bring... Forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. 
And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's calling them to repent because you don't get to heaven by your nationality, your church membership, or anything else that you identify with. You're, you're, you're saved because you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 2, 28, Paul writes, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and of the spirit, whose praise is not of men but of God. And so he gave some physical credentials. To us, that's not important because we're Gentiles. You know what I mean? We're Americans. Like we're, we're like this, we don't understand these, these things, but to the Jews, that was a big deal. Now he steps into his ministry credentials in verse 23 through 33. And this is very interesting. He says in 23, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. Um, it's interesting uh, what he does here. He says, are they ministers? He's not saying they're actually true ministers, but for argument's sake, he says, I, uh, are they ministers of Christ? So am I. And he says, I speak as an insane person, is, is the word could be translated as. Paraphoneo is the Greek word. I speak as one who is out of their mind. For me to begin to boast of myself, he said, is, is insane to do. This is so foolish for me to have to do this. And it's an amazing thing that in this section that Paul could unpack his ministerial credentials. You know, he was called by God while he was going to Damascus to kill Christians. While on the way, Jesus saves the, the number one persecutor of Christians and the guy writes half the New Testament. Like, that's impossible. It's like the atheist who came here to help me start Lighthouse 14 years ago. How does that work? The guy made his mom cry for going to church. He rejected the entire idea of Christianity, the entire idea of God. I talked to him for a year and a half, didn't believe any of it. And I said, if you were wrong, would you want to know? You already know what you know. You ever stopped to ask the question? And most atheists are emotional atheists. They haven't really thought it through. They are, they've been hurt in life, so they reject the idea of God out of emotion. But if you just pursue the truth, God will show you. And most people don't want to know the truth because they don't want God in their life. They want to be the master of their own sale, right? And so, um, so Paul is, is on the way to Damascus to kill Christians. Jesus shows up, saves him, changes his life. He goes into the Arabian desert, is taught by Christ for three years, he started churches all over Asia Minor. Ministry explodes. Churches exploding. Amazing things happening. But what's interesting, he doesn't talk about any of that. You know what his ministry credentials are? His sufferings. This is how a humble man boasts. If he's going to boast, he's going to boast in what his weaknesses are. And what his sufferings are. He says, you, you, you want to mark me as a man of God? Let me show you my marks. He had been beaten, and he begins to walk through the sufferings. Let me just show you some of the things he says. He says, in labors more abundant, in verse 23, this speaks of working to the point of sweat and exhaustion. He was a tent maker. You ever been to a third world country, or not even third world country, if you go over to 
Uh, a lot of countries today, they have open markets, tents set up. He would make tents for people. He worked very, very hard. He says, in stripes above measure. He, he was beaten so many times that he had all the unofficial and official beatings. He could not even record them all. He was in prisons more frequent. It's interesting that at this time, Paul had only been imprisoned one time in Acts 16.23. Here he talks about a plurality of imprisonments, indicating, indicating there were other imprisonments that were not recorded in Scripture. What's interesting is early church father Clement of Rome, uh, writing at the close of the first century, we have letters from Clement of Rome, who said that Paul was imprisoned seven times. He says, in deaths after, often in danger of death is the idea. When you read the New Testament, 13 books of the New Testament, you need to understand that this is written by someone who is constantly in the threat of being killed, constantly being hunted down. In Acts 23, 12, it says, and when it was a certain day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they killed Paul. And they were more than 40 men which had that conspiracy. Anybody going to sleep good with 40 people who said they're not going to eat or drink until you've been killed? Welcome to Paul's life. He says, I was often near death. He goes on and expounds on these near-death experiences. Verse 20, 40 says, of the Jews received I 40 stripes, save or minus one. He took 195 lashes. It's incredible, isn't it? Not only did he face Jewish beating, but also Roman beating. He said, thrice or three times was I beaten with rods. Only Romans could administer beating with rods. Only one of these are recorded in Scripture in Acts 16, 22, and 3, right before he gets thrown into the jail there in Philippi. They beat him, imprisoned him. Once he was stoned, this happened at Lystra, Acts 14, 19, and there came thither Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. They thought he was dead. He said, thrice I suffered a shipwreck. Three times he was in a shipwreck. Now the New Testament records at least nine different sea voyages he took across the Mediterranean. To, to have three shipwrecks, it would seem that the same devil that probably tried to create the storm on the Sea of Galilee was creating storms for Paul. But he just couldn't kill him. The guy was unsinkable. He was not the Titanic. And a night in the day he spent in the deep. Does anybody have a concern of being in deep, dark water? Raise your hand. That would be like a, not a good situation for you. My oldest daughter, she is terrified of that prospect. And I used to always tell her, I'd say, good night, honey. Just dream of deep, dark water tonight. You know, dark fins, this object swimming around. You know, there was no men that said all right there. All the guys were chuckling. All the women were laughing. <laughs> Builds character. Um, that's pretty intense. Verse 26, he says, In journeys often in perils of water, perils of heathen, perils of the city, perils of my own countrymen, and wilderness, and perils at sea, perils of false brethren, and weariness, painfulness, and watching often, and hunger, and thirst, and fasting often, and cold, and nakedness. It was all of these physical extremes. He was facing constant challenges. I don't know if you ever have a job where you travel a lot, but traveling can be exhausting. And we get to sit on soft chairs. I mean, very easy is our travel. Paul was 
it was a very physically exhausting, physically demanding travel in his life. And he says in verse 20, besides all that that was without, all the care of the churches rest upon me. You don't realize how much a child is valued until you have a child, I think. When that little child, you hold that little baby, it changes things, doesn't it? I know for me, when I held that little girl uh, forever, it, it affected how I viewed parenting. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I saw my wife differently. She's like her dad's girl, you know. I mean, it just, you see life differently. It's like, you know, if somebody touches this girl, I will break every arm and slap him. You know, I just, you, you, you see life differently. And uh, Paul said he had such love for the churches, and it just broke his heart. He said the weight of that. He said, verse 29, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's offended and I, I, I'm not burning on the inside with offenses in life? The false apostles boasted in their great external piety, yet Paul says in verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory in the things that concern my infirmities. And how do we know Paul's telling the truth? Well, verse 31, he says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. I'll bring Jesus as a witness to everything I say. And it's kind of interesting that verse 32 and 3 says in Damascus, he goes into the story of how uh, after he had been converted, he went to Damascus. <laughs> now he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching it so hot and clearly that the people there, the Jews, are wanting to kill him and they turn the governor against Paul and Paul has to be let down out of the city wall to be saved and rescued. You know, 2 Corinthians was written around 56 A.D., Paul was martyred in 67 AD, over 10 years later. This itinerary of suffering was in the first 20 years of his ministry. He had 10 more years of suffering unrecorded. So what are Paul's credentials? He boasted in the sufferings. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you want to identify me? You, you want my resume? yet stained in the blood of obedience to Christ. And I am a fool to talk about it. I'm embarrassed. I'm insane to bring it up. But you have forced me and you've compelled me. That's what it sounds like when the humble boast. Wouldn't it be great to have leadership in our nation that had that kind of a spirit? This is, uh, this is something that no false teacher would have. There would be no suffering on the resume of a false prophet. Persecution cleanses the church. I think persecution will come to America. There's going to be a day when it's going to cost you something to be in this building. And uh, there, there probably could be fines or it could be things. Things that I preach here uh, in Canada is illegal. In Canada, it's illegal. And so uh, we're, we're only typically a few years behind Canada. Why we would ever want to follow their example? <laughs> Don't get me down that rabbit trail. I feel it. I'm, I'm pumping back. And so I close tonight and I just ask this. Um, we see what happens when humility boasts. It sees it as foolish. It sees it as fleshly. And, and it will not boast in its great external accomplishments. Rather, it boasts in the joy of suffering for Christ. God blesses the humble. He puts down the proud. Let me ask you, does your life show humility before God? Would the people in your life say you're a humble person? One of the greatest evidences of humility is this. 
you pursue God because you need him. But if you don't need him, there's no pursuit. And you treat him as though he's unnecessary. You don't ever have to say that because works speak louder than words, don't they? The Apostle Paul goes down in history as the greatest missionary, church planner, and author of 13 New Testament books. History has boasted on Paul. Another man boasted of him and his credentials. And those who exalted themselves were forgotten. The prideful false apostles, they go down in history as deceivers, false apostles, and messengers of Satan. Those who sought to exalt themselves are eternally humbled. Those who humbled themselves are eternally exalted. And so, how do you handle success in life? How do you handle the, the triumphs? Would those in your life say that you reflect a humble spirit? And so tonight, uh, there's times when things can be challenging, but no matter what we do, make sure that everything we do is all to the glory of God. Amen. Whether somebody has to challenge our credentials, that we would do so, and it would be a bitter taste as it was in Paul, uh, that it would be something we would be slow to ever elevate ourselves. Learn in life to ask people questions, to care more about others. The Bible says esteem others better than self. And, and just consider tonight, um, does your pursuit of God reflect pride or does it reflect humility? Let's all stand this evening.